Thanks for tuning in to the Boundless Authenticity Podcast, where we discuss everything related to the evolution of human consciousness. All episodes can be streamed directly from jahansator.com slash boundlessauthenticity. That's J-E-H-A-N-S-A-T-T-A-U-R.com slash boundless authenticity or via spotify or through anchor.fm slash boundless authenticity hey so this is episode 17 and my guest is psychic medium lisa mcgarity lisa mcgarity is a psychic medium who has been helping people and performing psychic readings for more than 25 years her talents offer sensitive intuitive sessions which address past present and future information or she can communicate with our beloved ancestors in spirit. She has a knack for seeing the future and is skilled at helping her clients create the future they actually want. Her deep belief is that there is always a spiritual solution for all of life's practical problems. Her commitment to her clients is to be a guide, teacher, and healer that empowers them to bring more clarity and joy to their lives. Lisa has been the owner of Envision Crystal since 2003, she enjoys helping clients over the counter at the store as well as in private readings. Over the years, Lisa has studied with many different magical practitioners from all over the world. This has given her the ability to understand a variety of cultures, magic, ideas, and traditions. Lisa currently offers a variety of services including psychic readings, spiritual mediumship, shamanic healing, soul retrieval, past life regression, custom spell services, and she has a specialty in curse removal. Whatever challenge you are facing, Lisa McGarity is able to support your magical journey. You can find Lisa at lisamcgarity.com, L-I-S-A-M-C-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y.com, and envisioncrystal.com. And the links will be available in the show descriptions. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? Hi. Nice to hear from you this evening. How are you? Oh, I'm going. I'm really good, actually. I am Excellent. hanging out with my, well, two of my favorite people, Robbie and Whiskey, my dog and my chicken. <laughs> so it's all good. Sounds good to me. I have my dog Winter here. She might pop in and say hello to everyone. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody likes dogs then. Um, so, <laughs> so Lisa, we know that you are a psychic medium, but what can you tell us about who you are really and what you do really? Because I think psychic medium is such a, a, a broad category these days. And I want to give everybody the best understanding possible as to what that really means. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question, and it's something I'm asking myself, of course. Like all spiritual people, I'm asking myself that question all the time. Who am I really? What is it I really do for for clients, and why is it that people come see me? Um, I do describe myself as a psychic medium because I feel like that's the easiest way for my customers to understand, like, okay, she'll help me sort out the future, and she may be able to communicate with folks who are already deceased so she can speak to my ancestors. You know, those words seem to capture that, right? But, um, you know, I think about it as I'm an explorer. I'm an explorer in consciousness, 
and I have maybe just a little bit more of an ability to open up into the spirit realm or what is called the unseen realm. And I like to share that. Like, I think it's awesome. I went through a lot of years in my life when I didn't want to share it and I wanted to keep it quiet or appear normal or seem, seem like I could blend in easily. And I think what really, um, has been great about my work, my adult life, my work is that I've been able to share my perceptions with people. And, you know, I think it's, it's been wonderful. It's, and I love doing it. And I, I still love it after all these years, it's been a number of years that I've been working this way. I think about maybe 25 ish years. So, um, it's been great. And I, I don't think that I would have wanted to do anything else on the planet for me. This feels just right. Hey, cool. I love how you said you're an explorer in consciousness and Mm -hmm. you work with the unseen realm. Um, I, I love to bridge the gap between so many different ways of teaching and helping. Right. So I really do believe that whether you are a life coach, you are, you know, you program people on a subconscious level. You are a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever it is you do, however it is you find ways. If you're a psychic, if you only teach meditation, whatever it is you do to help people, all of these things have a common thread. And all of these things are basically working with the current capacity that any individual has to tap into their consciousness and explore. And we're all subject to psychic activity because essentially all thinking is psychic activity. And essentially with the subconscious mind, you are scanning everything. You're processing about what, 10 trillion bits of information Right. That's what they say. That's what they say. I could potentially be more than that. Sure. And and so my next question for you is the blanket question that everybody gets. What is consciousness? But also uniquely to you in your work, what is consciousness within the context of how the subconscious mind being a scanning device or recording device is picking up what's unseen and working with that. Okay. I love this question. So the first part of your question is just what is consciousness? And I know you asked this of all your guests. And I think what I believe my, my experience of consciousness is, is being aware. And the more we can, it's, which sounds so hokey and corny, right? But the more we can be aware of the three dimensional world, the five dimensional world, the internal world, what we feel, what we hear, what we see, the bigger and broader our awareness is, then the deeper and richer experience of consciousness is. So consciousness to me is like, we're just standing in the crossroads. All of us, every human being, we're in some sort of liminal space. So we're in between all these different realms. We're between the spirit world and the physical world the conscious mind, the decision maker and the unconscious mind. Some people would say the heart and the mind are a different split. But as human beings, I think we're right, right, right there in the middle. So I think that consciousness is the ability to stand right there in the liminal space and kind of tune into wherever you need to tune in. 
And that's the beauty. That's the amazing part of the human experience. So I think for me, uh, as someone who, who does readings, I'm a big believer and I um, teach anybody who trains with me or studies with me that the subconscious realm, everything we perceive that's psychic, let's call it psychic, um, you know, whatever energies we pick up through our intuition, they kind of bubble up through the subconscious realm into our thinking, rash, so-called rational mind, right? So the journey that the information comes through, it will pass through the subconscious mind. So there's always this kind of interplay going on between what we know logically and what the subconscious knows. And I think a big part of my work is to tease out the information we're getting from the subconscious and figure out, is it true? Is it accurate? Is it helpful? I kind of bring these thoughts right up to the surface. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's what I do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that that does make sense. And that's kind of why I began by phrasing it that way, because psychics um, have this unique ability to really just tap into whatever is not the conscious processing. And it's so difficult for the average person to wrap their mind around, not just because of groupthink and, and the societal conditioning that, you know, that's not a normal thing, or we have these other terms that just are a little bit shy of what is actually happening, like paranormal activity and, and ghost hunting and these kinds of things right. that just don't really describe exactly the fullness of what's going on that I think you really did answer that question well. And like I said to you, when we first spoke, I really do want to have you come in and explain in the simplest form the how-tos of this whole thing. And whatever you think is best, you're the expert, so I will <laughs> I'll get out of the way. I don't know if I'm the expert, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So, And the reason I say that is because I, I'm a big, big believer that every single person has the ability to tune into intuitive or psychic energy. I think that, although I will say this, you know, and I say it a lot, anybody can sing happy birthday, right? But some people are opera singers, right? So I think there are folks with a bigger gift, perhaps, or they create it, they lift it up to the level of art. Um, not everyone can really stay on tune. I'm not a very good singer myself. You know, I would never call myself a musician. I'm more like a music appreciator. But nonetheless, I think when it comes to psychic work, I do think that anybody and everybody who's got a heartbeat, who has any level of awareness also has psychic ability. It's part of the human condition. So I think that what I'm doing when I'm sitting with clients is my first step is I am prayerful and I'm creating sacred space for us to do work in. So I want the energy to be as clear and um, un uninfluenced by negative energy or fear or doubt or what have you as possible. So I might set that up energetically before I meet with anybody. I just want a nice clear space, as clear as I can make it. And when folks come in, my job is to do everything. I would need to hear, see, feel, and kind of just take in the energy that they're bringing in. I'm going to simultaneously kind of lean back into the wisdom that comes from my own spirit guides. Um, and, and as I'm going to let, you know, my person who's sitting with me, of course, I'm going to let them know, Hey, I'm picking up this. I'm seeing that. 
I'm perceiving this, but always I'm doing it with the idea that this is what I'm perceiving, but you're going to interpret it with me because you've got just as much information as I do, right? So I, I'm kind of just generating or speaking out loud the symbolic impressions that I'm receiving. So sometimes I might hear a word, for instance. Um, in fact, uh, well, I'll give examples afterwards, but I might hear something. I might see something clairaudiently. I might sense a feeling and I'll just speak it because that begins the whole dialogue process. Then, you know, the, the person I'm sitting with can say, well, oh, that does make sense or that doesn't make sense or maybe that pertains to this. And then we begin. I, I don't I hope I'm being clear. So it seems like a mystery process. And a lot of times uh, folks who will come in and I'll say something right off the bat um, and they'll say, well, gosh, how, I didn't even say I barely said hello. How did you know that? Right. And I just knew it because I can feel it or I hear it or I see it the second I connect to that person. So usually that's the item that's most present. That's what they need to talk about the most. That's what's in front of in front of us as we begin the work. Does that make sense? I want to make my work as clear and transparent as I can. And that's yeah. been the challenge for me. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I know we can't please everyone. I'm sure that the way you're <laughs> communicating it is simple enough for everyone. So right. I just wanted to to comment on what you said. I mean, you said this this really awesome thing about you kind of let whatever is bubble that bubbles up into the rational mind, uh, and yeah. you you work with that, and and you you're helping people to be aware of the three D world and and what we feel and what we see, mm-hmm. and to to gain a bigger and broader awareness. Right. And it, I love how you said standing in the crossroads of a liminal space. It, I, that just really stood out to me because I want you to explain to people what is a liminal space, first of all. Right. And I also, I also want to ask you the question, like, if psychic ability is truly a part of the human condition, mm-hmm. what is it that stops us from standing in, in this crossroads? Well, I definitely feel that there's a lot of programming in the world that says don't do it. Don't look under the hood of the car, right? Don't question those feelings. And if you see something out of the corner of your your eye, that might be something scary. Don't look at it. I know that growing up as a child, I definitely got a lot of, hey, you know, don't talk about things like this. Don't talk about it outside this house. Don't talk about it with other families. Don't make mention of what you see or hear or feel. I imagine some of the things I said as a child were pretty spooky to the adults in the room, right? So, and I'm sure I'm not the only kid to have that experience that somehow we knew stuff that we shouldn't have known. Um, and it makes, it made the, can make adults real uncomfortable or surprised at best, you know? Um, so I think that we have been living in a world where being so-called intuitive was seen as less valuable than being intelligent. And emphasis is on being rational and intelligent and informed. And I'm not against any of that. I sure hope we all become intelligent, right? But I do feel that we're on the precipice right now of people realizing, oh, wait a second, wait a second. There's this whole other realm that we can tune into. There's this whole other part of our being that is beautiful and amazing and loving or or just really on point that doesn't only come through analysis or doesn't only come through logic. So, you know, I look at these two parts of the human condition, you know, the, the rational and the intuitive is like a left and a right hand. And I really think you need both, right? 
Um, there are some people in my world who walk around only really using their intuition. And I don't want to be in that camp either, you know? I don't want to only be thinking, feeling, believing without any type of connection to the 3D. I really want to be in the in-between. I think that that is where the real magic happens when you can be well-educated or you can be analytical, you can be intelligent and thoughtful, and you can also be intuitive, creative, spontaneous. I think those two together, that's magic. So I invite the overly spontaneous to say, hey, hold up a second. What's logical here? And I like to invite the overly logical to say, hey, hold up a second. What is your heart telling you? Because I think we need to, wherever we are, we need to reach the other direction to bring some type of real balance and understanding. I think that's the best way. I I absolutely 100% agree with that because one of the main presuppositions I personally work with, uh, with clients, when they tell me they have a problem, it's because they have a problem. (laughs) and so the secondary presupposition that i i take on then is something is happening for this person it's an event that they're experiencing everything that they're currently experiencing is as a result of a past happening or the bits and pieces of the past the brain is simply forming these into some future circumstance and so they're worried about that right And so a lot of that is really, if you say on the right-hand side, you have your rational, Mm -hmm. and then on the left-hand side, you have your emotional. Somewhere in the middle is the real story. Somewhere in the middle is the program. Somewhere in the middle is the information that your brain is trying to process. Right. And it is the emotions which are happening as a consequence of that, Mm -hmm. which are really both helping you and hindering you. And hindering you, right? Depending. I agree. agree. And so I feel one of the main things that stops us from tapping into this, uh, to touch on what you said, is the conditioning that we get from our parents and in school because we're taught to learn in a way that logic is somewhat suppressed. I agree. And... You said, don't make mention of what we see or feel. And that resonated with me on such a high level because I remember being four years old, seeing a man in this clock. It was a painting that had a clock in the top right-hand corner. And Mm -hmm. the rest of it on the left side was the ocean and there were boats at sea. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and I would giggle at this clock. And my mom would be like, what, what are you laughing at? And I'd be like, you don't see it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and continue laughing. And she'd be like, oh, okay, this is really weird. And eventually I said to her, no, there's a man in the clock. And she just kind of went like, ooh, Uh-oh. we can't tell your father that. Right, right, right. Like he was already, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was a very frightened individual, very afraid of those kinds of things, afraid of himself, living a very disempowered life. He was an alcoholic, you know, he'd be abusive, all those kinds of things. And, you know, all of that is just fear-based. So she couldn't take the risk of him hearing anything about a man in the clock. (laughs) There was no man in the clock. No way, no how, right? Absolutely not. 
Right. And so, you know, we I think we all as kids have these experiences because kids are still playing in that field. Yes. And there's a lot of of real solid research about the way that human beings learn. And it suggests, if I may go the route of unspeakable truths, that we are taken to government education. Yep. To suppress our natural abilities. And so we learn by regurgitation. Memorization. Rather, exactly. yeah. Yes, I'm so with you. Yes. As opposed to figuring out what our dominant senses are. So for mm-hmm. me, it's auditory. I right. hear things. And uh, it is these dominant senses which tap us into the field of intelligence at all times because, you know, some people you're having a conversation with them and they're, if, if they know how to listen, they will tell you things that you didn't say based on what they hear. Right. Or if they're intuitive, if they can read energy, they'll be looking at you and whatever comes right. up for them visually, right? they will see it. And I know that a lot of psychics are kinesthetic, feeling, emotion, emotional-based. You know what? I would love to take it one step further from what you've just said, because what I've found, I, one part of my practice is I really like to help people open up to their own psychic ability. And what you just described is so perfect because... If you're a wildly visual person, well, guess what? Then your psychic experiences will probably be visual too. And if you're an auditory learner, you're probably going to be the person who's clairaudient, who hears from spirit. You know, not that we can't tune into all of them. And I think you're right. I think a lot of psychics are kinesthetic. And uh, one thing that was taught to me as I was kind of making my way in this world is that um, psychic feeling or being sort of clairsentient opens first. And I think that can be true. But as we kind of evolve and keep keep staying in the work, other skills and gifts will usually open up as well. But knowing how you're wired, which is what you just described, are you an auditory learner? Are you a visual person? That can be a really, really important clue for understanding what your psychic gifts might be, if that makes any sense. I agree with you. And uh the main reason I agree with you is because personally it took me some time to figure out that as a musician and a creator mm-hmm. um, to be in the role of a, a, a producer, your psychic ability has to be predominantly auditory right. because where are you accessing this information from? You hear it. Right. And if you don't get to a recorder or a piece of paper quick enough, that information goes gone and, like in a second, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so you have to train yourself into working with your consciousness in that way. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the faster and the easier it gets until it just becomes second nature. You can sit down, you know, this is how like songwriters will sit down in a room with each other for an hour and flush out hit songs because they, they do it all the time accessing this. And uh, just a a quick aside there, there's this guy, I don't know if you know who Godsmack is. They're like a hard rock band. And so the lead singer, he, he, he recently reached out within the past few years to, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, who does the the alien stuff, the ET yeah. stuff. Sorry, yeah. Stephen Greer would smack me in my face if he heard me say that. <laughs> um, and basically, the conversation that they had was that you know he wanted to know about more about consciousness and how the process of him being a songwriter and hearing these these um, 
you know, these musical notes and, and stuff in his head was related to all of that. And so that's right. how they got tapped into that. So a lot of people are now waking up and, and it's a lot of people that you really wouldn't suspect to the concept that it is their senses that plug them into this. And the reason why I said that specifically is because I had a moment where it was, it was Saturday. I went to my mother's friend's house and she moved away a couple of years ago. She's selling the house. Mm-hmm. Her husband died and he didn't want to go. And he was very distraught by the fact that he had to go. And I went in there and I said, well, is Gordon here? Mm-hmm. Right. And when I said, is Gordon here? I, f- I felt my secondary sense is feeling, but mm-hmm. some somewhat in the body. And, yes. you know, sometimes, uh, well, I shouldn't say, do you know, sometimes I'm making an assumption here, but <laughs> for me, I'll feel like a yes is a, a hit in my throat up here and okay. a no is lower down in my neck. Okay. So you and, know where yes and no happen in your body. That's really great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I got a yes. And I kind of, you know, time passed. I kind of went upstairs. The house felt like it was holding a really sad energy. Mm -hmm. And I was looking around and I found some things of his. And I was like, wow, this this really does have a a sad energy towards it. But it feels as though I was guided to this spot, particularly. And when Mm -hmm. I turned around, there was a... a, So our dollar is a coin. It's a silver dollar. And... I passed the bed on my way there and I looked and I saw there was a silver dollar on the bed Mm -hmm. and people have experiences like this all the time, but can you tell me what is that? And could you explain to the listeners like how these things that happen to them all the time? Sure. It just give the the ins and outs of that. How is this happening? Why is it happening? What is it? Yeah. I definitely feel that spirit beings have the ability to move objects. I don't feel it happens all the time. It's it's fairly rare, but I definitely feel, and what's reported to me, what I've experienced in my own life, the most common thing is coins, especially if coins have a high percentage of silver in them. So I think the silver must make it a little bit easier for the the people who are living in vibration, right? They're not in our physical realm. They're kind of in the next dimension. It's a different vibratory rate. But there's something about the metal in those coins that makes it a little bit easier for them to move. And so it sounds to me like you got a really big thank you. And my sense of it when you're talking is that he appreciated that you could sense him. He appreciated that you knew he was still present in the house. He appreciated that you could feel what he was still feeling. And I think he got a little bit of warmth and comfort from you being there. And so that was his way of, of saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for coming over, right? Thanks for acknowledging me. Thanks for knowing that I'm not gone, 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 and, you know, and, and unreachable. I think you got a really big thank you. So, um, yeah. So here in the U.S., a lot of times people tell those stories with dimes. You know, they find dimes, which these days dimes are not made of silver or not very much silver. But um, it is traditional that those silver coins are a little bit easier to move. And I do feel like that's one of the ways that uh, that spirit speaks to us. Okay, that explains it. Yeah. So, okay, so let's move on to the more of the how-to stuff then. Sure. 
So I think that, you know, anybody who, like I said before, anybody who wants to tune in and listen can. And I really liked what you said earlier about, you know, if you're working as a musician, you've noticed that you might get the impression of, of notes or that it seems to come in clairaudiently. And if you're not near someplace where you can record it quickly, you've got to somehow capture it right before it goes away. And I do think that's one of the hallmarks of spiritual experiences is they can be almost like a dream, like a waking dream. And if you don't pay attention to it and really make an effort sometimes to hold it or remember it, it can poof almost disappear just the same way your dream might be forgotten by the time you pour your coffee. Right. You know, Um, but I do feel that, you know, I agree also with what you said, which is that if we practice and we tune in and we're more aware, the more we practice, it becomes a sharpened skill. And then you can hold it longer. You can notice more. You can go deeper and expand. I always invite people to pay attention to, you know, check in with themselves at least a few times each day just to kind of tune in and say, hey, am I picking up anything intuitively? And so maybe the first 40 times you do that, it kind of feels like nothing, right? Nope, not pick, nope, no intuition here, you know, just doing my job, just cleaning my house, just making dinner, what have you. But if you keep checking in, what will definitely start to happen is you're like, oh, I do have this odd thought. Or, oh, wait, I am having a weird memory. And I feel like as we kind of tune in and pay attention to that, and maybe even I always invite people to jot it down keep a little notebook for a while when they're trying to open up to their own intuition. And if you process it that way and you hold it a little longer, then your body goes, oh, wait a second. She's paying attention now or he's paying attention now. I'm going to send more information. I'll be a little clearer, right? It's like we can fine tune the dial a little bit. So I think that anybody who wants to to open to their own intuition definitely, definitely can. Um, for me, I'm, I'm a person that spends a lot of time in prayer, meditation, um, shaman, I, I do a, t- a style of journeying that is considered shamanic journeying. Um, I, I like to do that. It's fun for me. I don't, you know, I don't consider that an obligation. I enjoy it. And by doing that, I'm spending a lot of time in what other people would call like an altered state, right? So I'm not in my same walking around thinking logical brain, but that's what opens the door for me. I think to be able to really work on behalf of clients, to speak to spirits, to, really kind of hear from, you know, other sources about what's happening in this world. So I do feel like that's a huge part of my practice. Um, It's something I I like to do and I want to do. But when it comes to kind of doing readings professionally, I have to say like, you know, it's something that you, you can't turn it on and turn it off entirely. It's kind of always there, right? It's always with you. And I think that's true for almost any creative pursuit. If you're a musician, you're always a musician, right? You can't really turn it off. But I think that what's been fun for me in the last few years is that the people who come in now seem to know they have their own intuition. So I'm seeing a real change in clients. People that I knew 15 years ago who would have never thought they had any type of psychic ability or intuitive anything are now sitting across from me going, you know, I'm having this strange experience. And they'll begin to describe, you know, what's going on. And so I'm a big believer that we're having some kind of awakening right here on planet earth right now it's happening you know so i think that's kind of exciting and i I do see that people are being more and more aware of that they too have the ability to hear from spirit which is i think pretty cool you know yeah yeah i totally get that i I see that and i see that in my own work as well people 
people want to wake up on a certain level and many people are terrified to meditate on their own and so uh, i'll try not to go on a tirade here but you can (laughs) however (laughs) yeah however we have these things like the calm app and guided meditations on youtube and whatnot and those things are great because at least you're trying to do something right that's just one level of awareness though that's not calm and that's not necessarily going to bring you into the brainwave state which will plug you into your own unique abilities and i do i do continue to and i swear to my listeners i swear this is the last time i'll bring it up in a show (laughs) i swear that the whole spirituality thing has been co-opted hijacked since about the 60s with the whole hippie movement and stuff where you know those pictures of them putting the flowers in the guns and stuff like we know who's doing all of this so we don't have to say who's doing this unless of course we need to open up that can of worms worms. (laughs) and so it's all in a attempt to counteract what you just said the great awakening and i want to know because i work with these brainwave states so much and when people come they they want to know how do i get better at meditating do i have to sit around and meditate for 30 minutes every day and the answer that i give them is no you can change your brainwave state in a split second you do it every time you watch TV or you right. listen to a song or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to learn how to bring yourself down. And, and I want to know from you how much of that process is involved in your work and how do you teach people to do it? Right. So I, you know, I used to be someone who said, Oh yeah, why not go ahead, go on YouTube and you know, there's a guided meditation there. And if that's what gets you started, at least you're doing something. You're not doing nothing, right? And I yeah, did. Don't stay always, there. Yeah. I used to recommend that, but I really don't do it anymore, especially since I um, found out about this Calm app. I didn't know about it. Uh, only recently did I find out about it. And I think the reason I don't recommend it anymore is exactly what you're, what you're tiptoeing up to. I feel it's a skill that we should be able to get to without technology helping. I mean, I'm a big fan of technology. My phone is on the desk here as we're talking, just like everybody else probably in the world, right? Um, But I think that there's something when when there's an interface in between us and and the brainwave we want to achieve, it's kind of like walking with a crutch instead of just walking across the room. And I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious that it's preventing authentic, natural, spontaneous, spiritual occurrence because if you're in a deep meditation or a mild, a light meditation, you never know when something absolutely amazing is going to happen. If you're doing it on your own, you know, something will appear in in 3d or what feels like 3d in the room that you might not have experienced. If you had your headphones on and your eyes closed, we don't know. Right. So I think technology is great. Technology is a gift. And you and I are speaking today because of this technology. So thank goodness. Right. But I do feel that to get to a real artful and masterful 
ability to tune into different states of consciousness, you've got to be able to practice it without the, the technological crutch. That's my own point of view. And I've changed. I used to say, yeah, go ahead, go on YouTube, download this for free. Why not? And now I'm starting to feel differently about it. I'm starting to see that the people who are only listening to those late night meditations um, that they're, you know, on, on, you know, on uh, social media or what have you, they aren't really achieving a true altered state of consciousness that they are in control of. And I feel like that's what we're being asked to find. We're being invited right now to find this amazing, unbelievable, unchartered territory. It's our own soul. It's our own soul. So why are we going to go there with an app? I don't think the app's going to take us there, you know? At least that's my bias. That's my point of view. I'd rather people learn to sit in quiet. And even if it's not 30 minutes, even if it's five minutes at first, then that's okay. Because I'd rather have five good minutes, you know, than a half hour of doing Zippo. Yeah, that's my feeling. I totally get that. And I would not call it a bias whatsoever. The same way that a person would see their doctor as an authority because they spent so many years allegedly studying and practicing certain techniques. Mm -hmm. It's the same for you. You've been doing this. Wisdom is this very special quality of the soul, which is grown and the power is harnessed by application constant honest truthful application and so if you're speaking to someone that goes on journeys as a as a shaman Mm -hmm. and you've been doing this psychic work for 25 plus years Mm -hmm. that's a long time to be sitting in a space of application which always comes before wisdom and it builds and it builds and it builds one day passes to the next. And the same thing you apply will yield a different level of insight and wisdom when you're really doing it. And so this is why this is so important for people to get off the calm app and get off of YouTube and get away from the TV Mm -hmm. and just five minutes, change your brainwave state, take it down, And notice what is happening inside your own head, because we are actually living in a technocracy at this point. I'm just going to talk about the elephant in the room. (laughs) We have this whole planned agenda going on around us. Mm -hmm. Some people, for fear of not having, are buying into this. Some people, for their own inherent addiction to their own fears and what will happen to me if I don't do this are buying into this. Some people are simply just programmed that they do not want to see. Some people are so confused because there's so much information out there that we don't know what's disinformation from misinformation from the truth. And it is all because we have this technocracy going. Technology is a wonderful tool. However, any technology that is used so much that it takes us away from the soul, it is going against our development and our highest good. 
And people can come at me and argue that all day long. I will sit quietly and listen to you. And then I will go back to telling you <laughs> the reasons why you must open your mind. Still think whatever it is you think, but open your mind. There is so much information out there that we will never truly ever get the opportunity to get it all. Correct. And yet you can be guaranteed that on the other side of what you think, you know, there is more information that supports this truth. And it's not even something that's buried. It's right in front of you. For example, why do you think they have people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg out in the forefront in the middle of this alleged pandemic? Why do you think that is? It's a technocracy. Right. What does that mean? It's like you said, it's a technological crutch. They're using our dependencies to stop us from tapping into our birthrights, our natural abilities. Natural abilities. I'm so with you on that. And I, I think that understanding that we're living through a, an age of a, a type of information warfare, a type of information uh, bombardment. And, you know, of course, it's difficult to sort out what's true and what's not true. But it's less difficult if you are in tune with your own heart and your own soul, because then you're able to really understand how things resonate. You, you told me a moment ago you had an experience and you know what yes feels like in your body and you know what no feels like in your body. But a lot of people don't know that. And so they're, they're unable to discern if, if what they're hearing or reading or experiencing or listening to is true or not. They don't have their own automatic sense. That's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very unfortunate. And every moment that we spend listening to everyone except for ourselves, we lose even more touch with the ability to read the field. And so much of technology is unfortunately actually designed to subtract our consciousness, to hijack the prefrontal cortex and take away what we are so right. naturally born to do. And so... I think that we are in this position and we have so many people acquiescing, yes, because of their subconscious programming, because of uh, conditioning, but also because they cannot control their emotions. And like I said earlier, emotional experiences could potentially be tapping in to psychic abilities. And this is me trying to somewhat segue into talking about Entities, what are the different types that we most commonly deal with? How can we... Okay, better question. Including what are the entities, what are the most common ones? What are some simple ways that you recommend we can just very quickly each day get a bit more in touch with our souls? And then I'll ask some more questions. <laughs> sure. I think that the best way to get more in touch with our soul is to do the five minutes at least that you and I just talked about of sitting quietly and just feeling what you feel. You don't even have to use that word meditation. If that, if that is a charged word for you, you can just sit quietly and see what you feel and contemplate or think about or daydream in any direction you want. But that five minutes becomes 10 minutes, becomes 20 of being unplugged, I think is so helpful and healthful in terms of connecting with your, your soul's actual energy. For very, very, very restless people that I work with who have that real fast-paced brain and have trouble relaxing, 
Sometimes they're not able to sit. So I say, hey, take a walk and just leave your phone behind, right? Get out in nature, go down by the water, go into the woods or go through the city, but do it without your phone. It's a whole different experience, right? So I think those are some really good ways to begin to just kind of listen to what your soul is trying to communicate to you. And I have this belief that we're all kind of walking around and even during the day when our eyes are wide open, it's still really kind of a waking dream. So as we're walking around, we will see things and those things will have a symbolic meaning. They will have a message for us. So if something's calling your attention, if you hear a word several times in one day, or if one number keeps coming up, or you see a butterfly and then you see another butterfly and then you see another butterfly, that's a message. That is a message from creator, I believe. And that's a really good way to kind of tune into your soul and ask, like, what is the, what were those butterflies about? What's that message for me? It gets the whole process of inquiry going. And I think that's, that's a great way to at least begin to kind of open the door a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's really great because all of those things, whether it's walking or reading a book or, you know, looking at the trees, it all changes your level of consciousness. And I'm sure that everybody listening has been pissed off about something and went for a walk. And then afterwards you felt a little bit more clear headed and just, you know, if you haven't figured it out, that's the reason why you changed your level of consciousness. You changed your brainwave state. And now you can handle stuff a little bit better. So it doesn't have to be this thing where you do it in a monastic sense and you have to sit with your legs crossed and all this crap. Like, no, no, like, you don't have to, you don't have to chant or anything like that. Right. Just, just get away well, you from can, it. If you want to, <laughs> right. you can, but you don't have to, you just get you away from, to. from right. everything and, and be with yourself. And right. I have met so many people, uh, Post pandemic and in the middle of it, who can't, they can't do that. They're not at peace. They have no idea how to be at peace. And quite frankly, the concept of being at peace scares them (laughs) to Mm -hmm. a high degree. And it's, it's unfortunate. And this is where I kind of want to guide it back over to the entities thing because, you know, they're all around us all the time. Right. And, what is it called? Loosh? Whatever it is that these entities feed on is generated by these negative emotions. Right. And, you know, how much of our... I've I've seen, let me start by saying that, I have seen enough entities in my lifetime to know that they seem to be around wherever there's sadness and depression and, and a lot of anger. They seem to be around wherever there's alcohol and drugs. They seem to be around, sorry to all my church goers, they seem to be around the churches and, and those places because those places are energy mechanisms. You know, we think they're just normal buildings, but they're really designed in a way. And kind of like what you said, they're symbols all around us. And so the symbols bleed into our consciousness and dictate mm-hmm. certain levels and call certain things in. You know, yeah, a lot more people are having these... Uh, experiences with entities and a lot of people are very confused so if you could just give us like the the most common ones that you encounter when you're doing your readings and please do tell us what kind of readings you do specifically so that everybody gets that 
Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of different types of readings. I think people come to me just for straightforward past, present, and future information. Uh, some people come to me because they really do want to speak with someone they love who's passed over or passed away. So that's one part of what I do. Um, another part of my practice is uh, a type of healing, and that's where I have encountered the most one on one kind of um, interface with different types of spiritual, like possessions or um, entities, what you're describing. And I definitely want to agree. I do think that wherever there's charged emotional energy, if it's sad, angry, or just intense, which sometimes, you know, people go to church on Sunday, sometimes with intensity, right? Um, that there's power there. So there can be spirits that will go there just for the power, just to grab that power um, and use it to keep themselves going. So that's definitely a common um, a common space where you would see, you know, what what I think in pop culture people call demons, right? You know, I don't know the... I, I tend to think they're just spirits. Um, some of them are fragments. Some, some of what I have encountered have been fragments of souls that did not cross into the next world properly. You know, some of what I've encountered uh, with with clients who've come for healings are just I call them spiritual intrusions. It's just bits and pieces in the energy body that maybe didn't belong there and needed to be removed. So that can happen. I do think there are a lot more people who don't want to cross over properly than you would imagine or that I used to imagine. And those people tend to wander the world and cause mischief a lot of times and just kind of hang out. And if they were someone who liked to drink or get high in life, they tend to hang out in places where people are drinking and getting high who are alive, who are living. So I think there's a variety. I, I do feel like there are, there are entities that seem to be part of planet Earth that seem to, this is their home base. But I also think there are entities that don't seem to be part of planet Earth. It's almost like they've wandered over here and they aren't quite leaving. So that's definitely something that I've encountered in my work as well. Um, in fact, I've, I've actually been instructed by my spirit guides to help a particular group of entities leave the Earth plane because... They didn't feel at home here and they didn't belong any longer. And so we did do that in, could, in spirit. Could you share the specifics of that with us? Can I share? Well, I don't want to give anybody's story away, but yeah, there, there was a um, person who had been involved in some university research. I'm going to be a little vague, but not very vague. And was unhappy about some of the unethical things that they saw during university research and became quite, quite depressed. So they came to me for a type of what they thought was going to be a soul retrieval. So soul retrieval in my type of work would be, you know, let's go and look and see if there's any lost parts of the person's soul and restore them to home, to home base, to the person who's, who is the client. But as we began to do the work and as I was traveling in spirit form, I just had the, the unbelievable sense of a group of entities involved that were influencing the research and influencing the person conducting the research and had influenced my friend as well. And, you know, I'm not a person who, I, I, you don't know me yet. You don't know me well. You know me for half an hour, but I'm a pretty level-headed person, right? Oh, despite having an unusual job, I'm logical in, in my own way. And I thought, this is crazy. I, at least I have lost my mind. But as I began to give uh, the feedback of what I was seeing and experiencing to my client, she just 
gave me the big nod of, yeah, that's correct, right? So with the help of my uh, helping spirits, who are my guides and my helpers, we actually invited this collection. I'm going to call them a soul group who were not of earthly evolution. They did not begin their evolution here on this planet. And so in spirit, not physically, but in spirit, I traveled to a particular place on planet Earth where my ancestors are from that I have found as a portal to another to another dimension. And through that portal, we assisted these souls, these beings to leave. And they actually were happy to leave, which was which was amazing to me. You know, it wasn't something I expected. And my client was greatly relieved. And I saw her several times since then. And she's a whole different person. So um, she had had a kind of an experience of depression and believed her depression was kind of a normal depression, like sadness. Uh, Her work was ending. She felt displaced. She felt, but there was a whole other dimension to it that I think a straightforward psychiatrist probably would not have found, you know? So they're everywhere. I think we forget. We forget that this planet is sort of like a giant, you know, space station. There's people who, and souls and beings that are part of Earth's evolution, but they're also souls and beings and and creatures that have come here from other worlds. (laughs) I'm reaching for words because I'm like, I don't want to say aliens. It doesn't seem like, I don't know. It's it's such a a pre-programmed response that it's easy to say aliens. Right. But I think I think as time goes on, uh, it's just as an aside. I think we we need to get in control of how we refer to them, and really, and and go with the whole Stephen Greer thing and call them extraterrestrials until extraterrestrials is better. I, You're right. I'm I'm really not certain if that's going to happen in our lifetime. <laughs> I don't but, know. Uh, you know, it it could happen. I mean, I've had my own experiences uh, <laughs> within the past year of of stuff with like that uh, and mm-hmm. i remember a couple of times about four years ago meditating and this is when i lived in pennsylvania still i was in my room and it was about after midnight i decided to meditate and um i i could perceive like on this side, my eyes were closed and I could perceive like someone was watching me. So I started to scan the darkness, if mm-hmm. yes. I could say that. And I saw like there was a being standing there. And to me, it kind of looked like the stereotypical description of what they call a gray, except a, li- a little bit more animated and a little bit less goofy. And and I think there are so many different ones that how can we ever really just say, you know, there's gray aliens or there's right. this thing? Because well, I've just seen so many. And yeah, I mean, there probably how many are. Different humans are there, right? We all look a little bit yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I know that uh, I know that these things often like to come around people who are giving off energy because you know the energy field expands, obviously, when you meditate. Right. Right. And so I've had the experience several times where things just come to check me out and they're like, oh, this motherfucker's giving off some energy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, you know, that's how it yeah. feels. Mm-hmm. And so, um, man, there's so many things I could say, but I, 
I just wanted to say that because for whoever, whoever's listening, you know, this kind of stuff, once you really get into it and you, you harness your consciousness, mm-hmm. you're only just ever a, a very thin thread away from the true reality of things, the true nature of your experience. And it's important to not be afraid. Right. Um, because I, I, you know, I've had people who also are very good at meditating and, and they love this kind of thing. And they've come to me screaming, I saw this thing, I saw that thing. And it's like, and I had to tell them this and calm down. Like the only difference between you and them is that you're in a three-dimensional vessel. Correct. Right. You know, would okay. you scream if you saw yourself in the mirror? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> Who right. knows? Right. But, you know, you can't really, uh, you can't really meet these things with that kind of like discrimination, I would say. Right. Um, that's telling you where your programming is. Right. Very much so. And I think also there's an understanding that comes when you spend a lot of time in spiritual practice that you have a certain degree of sovereignty. So you can say yes or no to things, right? So before you have to run screaming from the room, you can just say, Hey, hello, who are you? And can I help you? Right. And if that spirit is asking you for something that you're not interested in, in participating in, you could say, no, thank you. And that that's really it. Like, that's it. But I think people don't realize that, you know, we do have a uh, personal power and that we can agree or disagree. We don't have to be in agreement. So if you know that, then you won't be so afraid. Yeah. For the most part, agreement is for the ego, for that feeling of safety, where of not being challenged. Right. And you're not going to get very far if you have a belief and there's a whole set of things that you've married yourself to and you don't want to break away from that. In psychology, like cognitive psychology, that's called rigid rule keeping. It's a cognitive distortion. Right. And it's a thing that human beings are naturally hardwired to do, but we can choose to bypass it because uh, when we talked, I mentioned the Whitney, Whitley Strieber quote, um, beliefs are walls questions are doors mm-hmm. and i don't know if are you familiar with whitley streber no but you you and i spoke the other day and you uh made that quote and i was like oh yeah i love that that's so cool that's what i feel so very quickly before we move on to my next question whitley streber wrote a book he co-wrote it with his dead wife and streber before she died she had a near-death experience she came back from that realm and she began to condition Whitley and other people, their friends and stuff like that, and including people who would never, ever believe it, to understand when she had died, when she was communicating with them. Very cool. And so he was able to tap into his consciousness through this conditioning and through having years of, of experience with uh ETs and other beings to know when she was talking to him. And so he basically wrote the book. It's called The Afterlife Revolution. He wrote the book with her from the other side. I love that. And we have to check that out. Yeah, definitely check it out. You know, first of all, let me just say, I want somebody to love me as much as Whitley loved his wife. (laughs) There was, you could feel the outpouring of unconditional love for this woman coming from his words every Mm. single word was like the most beautiful poem ever (laughs) and i was like wow um 
because he couldn't have he couldn't have captured the essence of the information without that and that's the key the unconditional love is the key because it allows us to interface with so much but anyways let me not get too far off topic before this turns into a two-hour show um spirit guides so the average person still doesn't have a solid understanding of what a spirit guide is and how to really access them. There are a lot of people I have met who claim to be getting information about spirit guides from some website online. And, you know, they can't really tell you what's true for you on a personal level because you're the only person walking in your shoes. Right. Right. And they, you know, they can tell you like, for example, uh, let's just go there. My mom signed up for one of these things and she wanted to know who her spirit guides were. And so this website is telling her Archangel Uriel. And I said, you know, Archangel Uriel can't just be here to cater to your specific needs day in, day out. I said to her, look, your spirit guide is, is your mom. And one of my spirit guides is your father. See you later. Right. I got to go do this thing. <laughs> and right, right. she kind of sat there with her mouth wide open as I was leaving. Because I know she didn't quite get it. She, it was kind of like, how would you know that? And right. I still, at this level of development, have not met all of them. Some prefer to stay just hidden. Exactly. And I know, uh, yeah, and I know that they're not malevolent beings masquerading as as my spirit guides. However, that does happen for a lot of people, especially in the realm of mainstream. I've seen that happen to someone. Definitely. So how can we tap into talking to our spirit guides? Maybe there's a way you can teach me to kind of get that guy to come out of hiding. Cause I know for sure that one of them is my grandfather. Years ago when I was trying to figure all this stuff out for myself, I walked downstairs after a really great meditation and I had asked to find out who my guides were. And on the TV, there's this music channel that plays like spiritual music and stuff. It would be on all the time. Mm-hmm. And the name of the artist was George Winston. So that was my grandfather's first and middle name. And my middle name is also Winston. Oh, wow. So it was instantaneous. Since I came out, went downstairs, I looked on the TV. I felt compelled to look. George Winston. Beautiful. Yeah. So That's super beautiful. You know, that so was... I think we, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was going to say that was good and that was really convenient for me, but what about everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what you just described, I believe, is the most, most common thing that, that we do have um, a blessed or determined or uh, sort of raised up ancestor who will be a guide. That's very common. Now, you may have to go back more than one generation to figure this out. So, um, for instance, you know, I'm in a a situation where my mother passed away relatively young. And so she is not my spirit guide. She's around. She says hello to me. She checks in with me. She overlooks my daughter. But she's not my primary spirit guide. But most people will have at least one guide from their ancestry that really keeps strong watch over them and tries to help them along. Um, the passing on of names is actually one of, is a big indicator that that person will have an extra spiritual link with you. I think on an unconscious level, that might be why families do that. 
why there might be, you know, so many Georges or so many Valeries or what have you, where that name just keeps getting passed down. It does seem to create an extra special spiritual link across the generations. So I just want to make mention of that. And while I don't think that Archangel Uriel is your mother's personal <laughs> guide, although I can't speak for the Archangel, but... It's not um, ruin her fun. I'm sorry, Mama. But um, <laughs> I do think that there could be a connection that she has with that maybe a whole, let's say, army of angels, right? A whole department of angels, right? So she could, I mean, I think she just was on a silly website, but she could have an experience... <laughs> that um, she could certainly have a visit from Archangel Uriel. I wouldn't take that away from anyone, but she could also be in alignment with what that angel stands for. Does that make more sense? You know what I'm saying? Um, In Hindu practice, um, I I really love Ganesha. And, you know, um, in Hindu practice, of course, uh, the deities often have a lot of different names. And one of the names I understand that he goes by is you know, the great Lord of the Lord of many spirits. So it was described to me um, from someone who grew up in India that what that's about is that obviously he can't do all the jobs that people are asking him to do. So he's in charge of this huge army of spirits that goes out into the world and does all the jobs. And I thought that was like a fun way to think about it. I, I do think that sometimes it's not that a person is in alignment with one deity, one saint, one angel or archangel but it's kind of a resonance whereas the people that are the people i'm calling them people but yeah the people the people that are our day-to-day spirit guides that walk right next to us and say don't go down that road let's go over here have lunch at this restaurant make that phone call they tend to be human beings who have passed into spirit and made a commitment and a decision to be a spirit guide And they seem to take it on with uh, their growth in mind as well as our growth in mind. And it's an agreement, another agreement. It's another relationship. And the way we get in touch with them is, you know, the same way we get in touch with any spirit, which is with meditation, with prayer, automatic writing sometimes can be helpful. Watching our dreams can sometimes be helpful. And really asking to be shown in ways that you can understand how to communicate. Um, it can be really helpful. And one of the things, a simple technique that I always recommend to people who really want to make this link is to write, you know, dear higher self, spirit guides and angels, because that kind of covers our, could put ancestors in there as well. I would really like to know who's walking with me. I would really like to be shown who's around. Please make yourself clear. Just write that out. And generally within a few days, your signs will come. You'll, you'll get your answer. I think one of the mistakes we make is we forget to ask, right? We don't ask good questions. And generally when we ask, we do get answers. And once you know who you're talking to, it can be a little bit easier to then make the conversation clearer and deeper and more factual. And, you know, you, you touched lightly on this idea that there could be sort of a negative entity masquerading as a spirit guide. And I've definitely seen that. And I think it can happen. I think that happens sometimes, um, that can be the, the uh, impetus for mental illness even sometimes, or I've known of some people who had kind of like a psychotic break because they were listening to what they thought was a helpful spirit guide and it turned out not to be. So I don't say that to scare anybody off because there's definitely nothing to be afraid of. I think that it's just something to be knowledgeable about, that if the information you're getting doesn't actually 
uh, edify you, if it doesn't build you up, if it doesn't bring good into your world, then it's probably not the right source. I keep looking for a new source. I think that's the way to do it. But I, on the other hand, there's so much good that's just waiting there if you just ask, right? There's so much amazing wisdom and guidance that any single person on planet Earth can access. So I think, I think this is an important topic, and I think everybody and anybody should be talking to their own guides, if possible. That was really cool. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, so many questions are going through my head right now. Um, okay, so earlier you said something to the effect that spiritual experiences can be like a waking dream. Having said that, and you just briefly mentioned it, what can you tell the listeners and me? The listeners are me. I want to know. <laughs> tell me about precognition in dreams. Because I get a lot of that, like especially the past five years of my life. Every single night I dream. Every mm-hmm. single morning I wake up and I either write it down on or, or I sit in meditation and I go, what was that? What did that mean? And surely enough, stuff happens in real life that is representative of what I've seen. And I really am curious about, you know, what does this mean? What's, what is this precognition deal all about? Leave me alone. So so I'm curious, are you, are you having the type of precognitive dreams where you, it's very specific, like you're driving down the road and you see a white car and the car has a certain license plate and then you're. Yeah. Some of them are very specific. And even in terms of the waking state, the precognition is very specific. For example, you mentioned Ganesha and yesterday I heard that said three times Ah. and I was waiting for it. Nothing came up yesterday, but here it is. Yeah. So sometimes it's just a, a little excerpt from a conversation I'll have with somebody Mm -hmm. or you know somewhere I'll be driving along the road and I'll see someone do something and I already saw that in a dream or like my dog he's not with me so I can't show him to you Shiloh he is a big black American Akita and for months before I got him as a puppy I was having these dreams where I was being attacked by a, a wolf And so eventually I fought this wolf off and it was only when I learned to control the dream and get a hold of the wolf that the dream sequences began to change completely and it went back to being very peaceful. And now, well, I shouldn't say now, I'm going too far ahead of myself. So when I did that, then... A couple of weeks later, actually three weeks later, literally three weeks later, mm-hmm. um, my aunt had a litter of puppies and he was the runt and no, nobody wanted him. And I said, why doesn't anybody want him? I'll take him. And then it hit me. Oh, shit. This is my dream. Yeah. And so because the dream sequences changed from being not so not so peaceful to being very peaceful. I named him Shiloh, which means he who brings peace in Hebrew. And and the whole thing with me fighting off this wolf is it's very funny because in this reality, what he actually does is he stands up on his back legs and he does like this. He holds his paws up because he wants to be hugged. (laughs) He wants to hug you. Yeah. And so he wants you to put he wants to put his paws on your shoulders and put his head on your neck and do like a human would and hug you. Wow. 
And so that's one example of it. And but I've also seen other things, and it's just it, it's an everyday thing where in a couple of weeks' time I will have seen at least one thing in this reality that I dreamed, and it's driving me crazy, it. Lisa. No, why is that driving me crazy? I think that's fantastic. I think that's like beautiful and wonderful and fun. No, I think it's good. Um, I love the the story about the wolf because you made peace with the wolf, right? And then it's like, you got a gift. You got this beautiful piece. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think it can be both things. I think it can be that people have straightforward precognitive dreams where, you know, they dream they're going on a job interview and when they arrive, the man's in a gray suit and he's got a yellow tie and then, you know, and the dream actually goes that way. Um, I know the shop that I'm the owner of now, I have a small uh, metaphysical store. I had lived in this town years ago and the shop existed then. And I shopped there and I was a customer. And then I moved far away, but I would always dream of that store again. And I would dream and I never expected to move back to the community where the store was. But through a crazy series of events, I did move back to that community And then I did become associated with the store again. And then eventually the woman who owned it before me asked me if I wanted to buy it. So those dreams were so far in advance and so uh, separated from what I thought my logical life plan was. You know, my logical life plan was not to come back to this town where I live now. But I do think that my soul was speaking to me and letting me know there was a different destiny. It was giving me clues. So I, I see it that the dream world is a great way to be in firsthand communication with our soul. And the soul really speaks in symbols, in, in you know, pictures, in symbolic language, in color, in sound. But it has a different kind of uh, voice than, say, you and I when we're awake, right? But I do feel like there's a constant, we're creators, right? Human beings are creators. We're creating our reality. And we're creating our reality by jumping into the soul realm, making choices, having experiences, creating energies, and that energies have great ripple effects. And then we come back to the the waking world and boom, here it is. We've created it like little mini gods and goddesses, right? So I think that when we spend time in dream, is it precognition or is it creation? Maybe we're creating it from that space. I think that's possible too. I think that it depends on um, whether we, you know, I think some dreams are our soul talking to us and explaining what is going to happen that's bigger than the individual us. And sometimes it's an opportunity for us to work things out and create them differently. And I think that, you know, wrestling with the wolf until you made peace was a way to create it differently and make it make sense. I think that, is it safe to say that, yes, we are creating things, and also in order to create certain things that we need for our highest development, we have to, in a dream state, we're put into the position where we're much more safe to deal with it psychologically, (laughs) because I didn't like Akitas for some time, and the reason for that is because when I was a kid, there was this three-year-old girl that went to my school and um, they had an Akita and the Akita ripped her back open or something like that. Okay. And I, I think that knowing that being so young scared me a bit and it sure, sure as shit scared the hell out of my mother because she would never let me have one or go near one. Oh, sure, yeah. And then my early 20s, 
uh, listen to me talking shit like like I'm 50 already or something. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> a few years ago, <laughs> several years ago, back in St. Olaf, mm-hmm. I was actually attacked by an Akita. And so I actually still have the scars on my arm here. And okay. Here. Gotcha. And um, it, I carried that for a long time and I I made peace with it. But I guess on some level, psychologically, I hadn't really completely made peace with it. Hence the wrestling with the, right. the, the, the Akita and the wolf you or know, whatever it is. In some cultures, when you have an experience of being attacked by an animal and surviving the attack, that means that animal is a guide for you. I think so too. And I think... I think maybe in some ways, this is a great segue to my next question. Do you think that people or animals who are alive can be spirit guides? 110%. Yes, I do. I do believe that. Um, I just, I have a new puppy. I was hoping she would come say hello, but she's not. Oh, she's sleeping near me. Um, I have a new puppy. She's only been in my house about a month, but um, I definitely already feel that bond of she's going to be a guide, a helper in my work whenever I'm so far. And anytime I have clients here or I'm reading or I'm working, she just comes and sits beside me and she's in the energy. Last night we had a small development circle with myself, my daughter, a friend and her daughter, just the four of us. We did a meditation together and there was winter, my puppy right there with us, you know, enjoying the energy and adding to and bringing wisdom through. So for sure, I think that there are helping spirits who are living 3D animals for sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, I love chickens, Lisa. So I definitely want to believe that uh, some of my chickens are, are spirit guides. As crazy as that's going to sound. Well, I say that because uh, one of my chickens, my rooster, chickpea, he uh, he was found face down when he was a day old in a tuft of grass. Some wild dogs came along and chased away his family and he was abandoned. He never came mm-hmm. back for him. And so the neighbor kind of brought him over and said, hey, you like animals. Here you go. Tossed him over. I was like, oh, thank you. Right. I took him. And there was just a, a different energy about this chicken. And I, I gained a whole different level of respect and reverence for chickens because he couldn't stand up on his own or anything like that he couldn't eat on his own or anything he must have been sick or something as well mm-hmm. i fed him using a syringe i i would meditate instead of sleeping and lay straight on my back and hold him in a towel on my chest because i didn't have like a heating lamp or anything to build a brooder we were actually in the middle of lockdown so i couldn't go to a store uh-huh. or anything like that mm-hmm. right so i did that but we formed such a bond that he actually meditates with me. Like if I go and I get him, I say, hey, chickpea, let's meditate. He will get on my lap on his own, sit, close his eyes. And I shit you not, he will meditate with me. Yeah. <laughs> and there's I, I just, that. That's great. And there's an overwhelming sense of joy that goes along with doing that with him mm-hmm. more so than even people that I know. <laughs> Got special bonds. Yeah. Know. Special bond. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that, yeah. it opened my eyes to a different level of intelligence with these these various animals and stuff. Um, I think I think in some ways 
shit, where am I going with this? I think in some ways there are so many different people and animals and stuff that pass through our lives and potentially they are guides. I would never have gotten into any of this if I wasn't out one night at a gig and some guy tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, I noticed you have an affinity for leadership. Have you ever heard of coaching? And I said, I said to him, uh, no, I haven't. Can you hang on a sec? Because I was talking to the sound guy. I turned away to finish saying what I was saying to the sound guy. And I turned around to talk to the guy and the guy was gone. I searched the entire bar for him. He was gone. And that was so bizarre that that was the very first moment that I really believed in any of this, that mm-hmm. people do come in as guides, you know, guides. maybe that was a guide to just put me on the right path because at that time I was going through a lot. Right. I really was. And I kept asking all the time, I don't know how to get out of this and to get where I'm going. Where am I going? I was doing everything but screaming at God, like you MF. I think that intensity of asking sometimes is how we get those amazing spiritual answers, right? Mm -hmm. Because you were, you were asking with an authenticity and an intensity. And, and, you know, if I look at it spiritually, it's like a ferocious, you were determined, you weren't going to quit. And God answered you. God answered you. God sent someone, a guide, an angel, someone to say, Hey, what about this? And it might've been just the answer you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I ran home that night, I typed it into Google. I was like, what is coaching? At first it came up like personal coaching and stuff. I said, I don't want to do 3000 hours of (laughs) (laughs) 300 hours of pushups. And then I, (laughs) you know, it finally came up, you know, now you see the Anthony Robbins of the world and stuff like that comes up. So then I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And I, you know, I sort of been reading, Books by Sylvia Brown and M. Scott Peck and Robert Green, uh, mm-hmm. Wayne Dyer, those people. All those and people. S- and so I was starting to get a good idea of, the, oh, shit, this exists. So when that guy tapped me on the shoulder, that my whole life changed. And I, I do believe that maybe every encounter means something. Yes, And I really do, this is where I mentioned to you, I want to get into the real stuff. And also, I don't want to talk for two hours. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this concept but the of... Thing. There's so much to talk about, right? It's a big, it's a big world, the spiritual world. Yeah. And uh, this whole thing of boundaries and stuff, you know, if this person isn't who you think they should be specifically for you, if they don't cater to your moods, cut them off. All this kind of stuff. And that's actually what's coming down the pipeline in the mainstream. And I don't like it. I used to be like that when I was a teenager into my, my early 20s. I, made, I stopped doing that when I was around 25 because I realized this really is conflicting with my consciousness. I've done this. So many times, and I, I can't just go around burning bridges just because I don't like everything that everybody says. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, this is not to say that there aren't people out there that take your kindness for weakness. Yes, they are. there are. There are plenty of them. And you, you don't have to be rude and unkind to them either just because. Right. But I really do think that every encounter with every person, there is something... You know, we live in a world of emotional mirrors. And just because you don't want to look at somebody's behavior and you don't want it in your 
your sphere, it's still telling you something. Right. There's still information there. You don't have to condone bad behavior, you know, but you can just maybe find out if you can tolerate it or find out what button it's pushing inside of you. Right. Um, You know, I'm not for anybody being a martyr or being in a dangerous situation or anything like that. But if you have friends and they don't do exactly what you want or they don't remember your birthday or, or they don't pick up the check the exact number of times that you pick up the check. I mean, that's a silly way to go through life, right? To consider that to be some kind of like reason to end the relationship. I think, you know, we need to give each other more grace than that. Yeah. And I wanted to bring it across to this concept. Uh, It's something I wanted to challenge, but you seem like the right person to help me challenge it. This concept that being around someone can suck your energy away from you. It, it has it has a lot more than just that like that's not a good enough reason just because you feel drained it's not a good enough reason to isolate from people at the end of the day how how much does personal responsibility for your thoughts your emotions and your energetic field how, how does that come into play with these kinds of things like people can't take your energy without your consent for the most part right entities can do that when you get upset but human beings, not really. There's a little bit more to it. Is, is that true? I think that's true. You're actually making me thinking, think of two things simultaneously. And so the first thing that comes up for me when you ask that question is, you know, um, yeah, it can be draining sometimes for me. I'm sort, of a, I'm sort of a private person. I love people, but I need time away from people. I need both, right? Um, but there are those people that I find more draining But if I'm being honest with myself, it is also because of how I interact with those people, right? Maybe I'm getting triggered by things they say, or maybe I'm not protecting myself enough, or maybe I'm responding oddly to, you know, uh, their point of view. So I think there's information in, in the exchange, but I hear you. I think there's this kind of like almost hypnotic push within the world of social media, you know, with Instagram and you know, all these places where people exchange ideas to um, keep your boundaries up and, and it's okay to be alone. And, you know, intelligent people have few friends. That's, that's one I saw go by. And I think that that's okay. It's okay if you, if you, that's your authentic experience, but it does lead to a very isolated existence, right? If we don't have a social network, then we're even, it's another way that we become more isolated and more separated, unplugged from each other. So it's a little bit discouraging, right? Yeah, I I hear you on that. It's definitely very discouraging. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I don't think we should just engage with people who are plain mean-spirited, right? If if someone's just being awful, horrible, okay, then maybe you don't want to engage with that. And I totally get that. But I guess, um, you know, you have to make sort of a case-by-case decision, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I, I I felt like you would be the perfect person to expand on that point because you're the true definition of an empath. And yeah. what I what I find myself telling people all the time is, you know, they say, I'm an empath, I'm an empath, I'm taking on everybody else's stuff. And I tell them, well, stop taking it on them because you <laughs> you're the one, you're the one taking it. Yeah. You know, if I hand yeah. you a steaming bag of dog shit and you take it from me, you're responsible for taking it. I didn't make your hands reach out and grab it. Correct. And they, 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 let's call them that, are using this as a division tactic. It's one con- more division tactic, yes. 
yeah, to convince people who are not yet ready to take personal responsibility for everything mm-hmm. that someone else has control over their emotions, that someone else has the power to project directly a beam of darkness onto them that they absolutely are going to melt if they're in the room with this person. Right. Stop taking that on. Step into your sovereignty and realize you don't have to own anything that doesn't belong to you. Right. That's right. what it means to be an empath, to read the field without being attached to it. Yes, there's going to be some really hard days and some really hard people right. and some really hard energetic environments where you feel like a sponge. Mm-hmm. But it is ultimately up to you how much you take in and how much you take responsibility for things that are not yours. I totally agree. And I think it's a a bit trendy at the moment. You know, I'm hearing all these real young people, 14, 13, 15, telling me, oh, well, I'm an empath, so I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm an empath. And I don't want to take away from anybody's sensitivity. I'm glad they're sensitive. I'm glad that they're able to pick up on other people's feelings. But I do think that there's a skill set that goes with that, which is understanding which feelings are actually your own and, and not someone else's and how to cope with whatever is moving through your emotional body. Whatever is moving through your emotional body is yours to manage, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. There's information there, potentially to help the person that you claim is draining you. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Empathy. And and what they're really, especially with the kids, I mean, they don't know any different, Lisa, but it's important to, to reference them and hopefully some kids will listen to this and be like, hey, that right. sounds like me. And they will knock it off because the mind just has another cognitive distortion that literally sounds like something is wrong with me. And as right. soon as you get an explanation for that, then you have a label. You mm-hmm. marry yourself to this label and you go on living your you life. And can't in, change, right. In a, in a disempowered way. Yes, Well, I would even take it a step further. I would say that there's a lot of young kids who talk about like, I have anxiety. Well, I have anxiety. Like, well, no, you don't have anxiety. You're just afraid right now. You're just afraid right now. It's not a permanent state. Or I have depression. Like, Do you have depression? Or are you feeling sad at the moment? Right? Because there's a very different, there's a big difference. Are you having an emotion that you know at some point will change? Or do you have a medical condition that requires a medicine? Right? Absolutely. Uh, here yeah. we go into that territory we said we might hit. <laughs> yeah, right? We weren't going to um, do it, or maybe we were going to do it. I don't know. Talking but, about the labels and stuff. It, it, right. all, of that, all of that is a paradigm that has been created by the psychiatry and the psychology industry to disempower people mm-hmm. so that they have a reason to take medication. For, for sure. I definitely think that's the case. And unfortunately, it's starting for people at younger and younger ages when they're trying to do the jobs of adolescence or the teenage years. There's, there's work to be done to move through that time. And that work often includes managing sadness or managing fear. I mean, there's no way to come to adulthood without learning how to manage those emotions. So, you know, if we interrupt that process, I'm not saying there aren't some kids who probably do actually need medication. There are real chemical imbalances out there. But at least in my community, I'm seeing a lot of people who are owning their, um, you know, their mental state as if it's a permanent fixed condition. And rather Mm -hmm. than being given any skills to work with their feelings or work with their thoughts, 
or even just take better care of their health. None of that is being presented to them. They're just getting a prescription. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I don't want to continually reference them, the powers that be, et cetera, as though we're really truly victims. Because we again, that's another thing where we have to be sovereign at all times, but we have to right. understand the narratives that are projected onto us and understand we don't have to live by them. Yes. Because it's another way of stripping our souls away from us, stripping our intuitive abilities from us. Uh, so many people who come to me with, you know, they're anxious or they feel depressed. It, at the end of it, once I show them that, uh, like we said at the beginning of this, you bridge your rational mind with your emotional mind and you're picking up on information. Here's how you sort through this information. Here's how you tell how you've been brainwashed this way or the other way. And you learn to notice subconscious programs in and outside of you. Mm -hmm. Then they come to feel more empowered because they realize, oh, wait, I'm living everyone else's storylines except for my own. And I'm suppressing my intuitive abilities. And all the things I'm worried about are these deep seated fears that, you know, I don't do this kind of work where I work with ancestral stuff. Like I'm not, I'm just not that advanced yet. And (laughs) I have come to figure out a few people actually do have stuff that it has stemmed from far beyond that. And I, and I tell them, well, you know, you got, you got to leave me now. You got to go on to somebody else because your age plus, I don't know, 17,000, 30,000 years is how far back this thing might go. And that's not my territory. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, do you get right. stuff like that in your work where you have For to sure. take people all the way back? What does that look Absolutely. like? Absolutely. Well, sometimes it's a person's past life experience that has that is still running as a program in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember one young woman, uh, she was in her late teens when I first met her. And then in her early 20s, when we came to figure out, Uh, folks thought she had, doctors thought she had an eating disorder, but then they realized she had a kind of physical condition that was really making peristalsis, really making it impossible almost for her to swallow properly. So she had a very difficult physical time eating and there was some complexity. And we did some spiritual work around this and discovered that she had a past life where she was one of the leaders of a small tribe of people And there wasn't enough food where they were living and they had to move from one location to another location in search of food. It was a famine in her tribe. And because of a sense of duty as a leader, she didn't want to eat any more than she absolutely had to. She wanted to make sure that everyone else in the tribe had resources, especially the young people and the children. And so her past life program was like, Oh, don't eat more than, than you need. Don't eat more than you need. And that was still repeating in her subconscious mind. So we were able to unravel that pattern and, and get some freedom. Now she also had a physical condition that she was probably born with, and she did use conventional medicine to work with the physical condition too, but she was able to eat better. Once we unraveled the past life pattern, she was able to gain some weight because she, she was dangerously thin. She was quite thin and get more nutrition into her system. But I mean, that's just one example where her past life, was still in, was not still, but very much influencing this life. And she didn't even know that until we were able to kind of search around and find it. It can oh. be that way. So you feel like that could potentially be true for a lot of people? Oh, for sure. I really do. Yeah. And I do think there are our ancestral patterns 
Um, I just had a, a client recently within the last week or two where I was shown an ancestor that, and she had even heard the story, but she never quite connected the dots. But this particular ancestor um, was having a, a, was on a farm and was having a dispute with the person who owned the land beside them. And in the heat of an argument, the ancestor had picked up a rock and thrown it at the person they were angry at, hit them in the head and, and inadvertently killed them. Meant to do harm, didn't mean to actually kill them, right? So she had even heard that story and haha, it was like a funny but not funny family story. Yet she had a pattern in her life of always living next to neighbors she fought with, of having crazy neighbors, right? So look how that pattern was repeating. Now, as I was searching around in the spirit world to find the source of her, you know, repeating pattern of these, you know, unruly and unmanageable neighbors. And she did have some absolutely insane stories of neighbors. Um, but I was like, well, I'm seeing this story. Well, when I told her that, she's like, oh, yes, that's a true story because she had heard of it. She knew of it in her family tree. And so it wasn't her. She didn't reincarnate. She's not that predecessor, that ancestor. But the pattern seemed to travel right down the DNA and live right inside of her light body. And she was manifesting it without even understanding the source. Because this is a very peaceful person. She's not somebody who goes looking for conflict and yet time and time again, she would move to a new space and had some kind of crazy like battle with her neighbor. It's kind of funny, right? Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. And I, I guess I never really quite thought of that because I, I guess I haven't encountered that. Right. Um, right. But that's just so. It's wild. awesome. Awesome. <laughs> In a way, I mean, not funny. for not for like, her in her time of suffering, but yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just don't think about the stuff that, you know, our great uncles or our third cousins might be going through would be influencing us too. But this DNA that's inside of us is pretty potent stuff. And it mm. does communicate, I believe, memory and information across the generations as well as just can, you know, influence our physical traits. Yeah. That resonates. And I, and I do tend to agree with you because, um, I, in the changing of the brainwave states and stuff in my work, I've done things on myself specifically where I've had to look at the, the helix and right. you could see where particular programs were being held and you like you send it into God's light or if you want to, I don't yes. know if that's a trigger word for somebody listening, but you know, get over it. <laughs> but um that's perfect, actually, right? Yeah, and so yeah, it really does make a lot of sense to me, and I just think that's really incredible. Um, I'm just going to move on with the last couple sure. questions here, so I can get you away from me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like you, you talk about this ancestral stuff. Is it possible to find someone who died some years ago without knowing their date of birth, like just using a picture or? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, are you looking for someone in your own family tree? Is that what you're asking me? Well, no, I'm just, I, well, I probably could, but. Um... Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times if, uh, we don't need to know that much in order to find um, an ancestor. If they are willing to communicate, they'll usually step forward. Sure. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. They want to know what we're doing. They're curious about us. If they haven't come back for a new life and if they're, on, in that world, then they're watching. It's like they want to know what we're up to. So, 
so interesting. I, I didn't even know why the hell I asked that question. I just kind of wanted to know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because I guess where that question's coming from is we see all of these mainstream psychics on TV and it's so convoluted. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to dog out the guy because I really like him, James Van Prague or whoever it is. I find right, right. like sometimes when he says stuff, it's so on target and i i think he has to talk that way it's it's in line with the mainstream narrative and it's very vague and yeah. so he does that for the camera like he, he of himself I, I obviously have not had lunch with the guy so i don't know him personally right and i think that like just to, to say use his name um when you're on camera you have to to stick to a particular narrative and so the really the in-betweens of it and people don't get that maybe yet this thing is real and it's having to adhere to this rigid narrative that does take away the credibility of it. It does make it seem like it's unbelievable that you could just look at a picture of someone and find them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a picture though, if you think about it is very powerful. I mean, it really does capture someone's energy often, you know, it's their image and each one of us is unique and we do have, all have a unique image. Um, there are some people who believe, you know, there are parts of the world, but even today they don't like photographs because they feel like the photographer is taking a piece of their soul, right? Mm. So um, I don't know if that exactly is true, but I think that a, a, a photograph can be super powerful. So I can understand that he can probably connect through a photograph. And um, a lot of times when I'm sitting with somebody, I'm not even looking for a particular uh, deceased person to speak. I'll just kind of say, hey, hello back there. Who wants to say hi? And wait and see who comes to say hi. Do you know what I'm saying? And so then they'll usually give me some descriptors, um, whether it's physical traits or how they passed or what the relationship is to the, to the person sitting across from me. Um, you know, I may I may receive their name. I may not. It really just depends. But if I... Don't, um, if I don't hear from someone and my client wants to speak to them, generally just the first name alone will open the door. So, um, you know, last night we were doing like a little practice development group, uh, myself and this small circle and the, the people I was sitting with were just practicing their own ability to communicate with spirit. And so we started just calling names of various ancestors. And sure enough, as soon as we had that name, boom, the name has power. And that brought the person front and center and gave them a, an ability to communicate even with the other people in the room who don't consider themselves mediums. Holy shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> Easier than you just think. by saying and, the name. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And actually my daughter, do- I have a daughter who's 18. So we came home and I was like, so you were quite good at that. Like, do you really want to do it? Because she'd never expressed that desire to me before. And she was like, it was just so much easier than I imagined it was going to be. So yeah, it's very easy. So I think we think it's difficult or we've built a lot of um, a lot around it, but it doesn't need to be so hard. They want to talk to us as much as we often want to talk to them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so last two questions, I swear, soulmates, <laughs> what are they? I'm like- enjoying the conversation. It's okay. You can ask me <laughs> crazy questions. I love it. So what was your question? I'm sorry. Tell yeah, me. soulmates. What are they? Because oh, okay. when, when you were, I guess it, I have these questions in front of me, but as you speak, a lot of what I have written down in front of me is just 
in alignment with that. And so I kind of have to ask it now. It's almost like okay. you're reading, reading my mind. You, you saw my notes beforehand <laughs> or something. I was peeking over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are you? I'm suspicious. No, now. <laughs> I'm not. But I am trying to connect because I, I uh, enjoy making the connection. Um, well, I do believe that there are people who uh, fall in love with a soulmate. I don't think there's just one soul mate or, or this other word that's getting thrown around right now a lot is twin flame, right? Uh, exactly. That, I feel the same way. Um, you know, and it, I don't think there's only one person for every other person on planet Earth. And gosh, if there was only one person, then we'd have a really hard time finding each other. Right? It would be next to impossible. And I, I do think that that idea sometimes keeps people stuck in unproductive and unhealthy relationships. So it's, it's not usually wisdom to think it's just one soulmate. But I do believe there are sort of tribes or collections of souls that, that agree to reincarnate together. So a lot of times the people you are close with in this life, you, you mentioned your mom a couple of times. Sounds like you're close with your mom. I'm sure you have other friends and family that you feel close to. There's a very good likelihood that you've lived with them in previous lives. Although probably the roles changed. You may have been the parent or the friend or the child. It, you know, it may have been all all different roles, but I do think that there are kind of collections or families of souls that come back and come back and come back and kind of find each other once again. And I think it's that of that they experienced in one lifetime that draws them back, back towards each other in the next lifetime. It's all about the love. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess in a way I wanted to ask that question because I know that these things do exist and I, Earlier on, I've done some past life uh, regression. I, that's a big thing that's coming out these days for a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. And there's here's two instances. So shout out to my friend Katie. Um, years ago in 2017, I think, I did this regression. And um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Steve G. Jones was was the okay. guy that did it. And um, it was a part of a course that I did in it. And I went back into this time and it was like Mecca or something like that. It kind of looked like that. I couldn't say it was specifically, but you had to get on this train and go all the way back on a timeline. And when you get off, it puts you off wherever. It's just right for you to learn at that okay. time. And I was wearing like a white kind of tunic with a hood uh much much more good looking than i am now <laughs> and um i was in charge of some kind of a military that was keeping watch over a village and i saw a couple of of my family members i saw my real life sister who i don't get along with in this life she's been a tyrant in my life Mm-hmm. And she was kind of tyrannical then as well. And I remembered feeling, ugh, I don't know if the sensation I feel towards her now is in this lifetime or if it's something bleeding over from this lifetime. But I came okay. to understand that. And then I saw my aunt was like in a window. And my aunt actually, this one I'm talking about actually lives next door to me on our family property. Um, okay. But I saw her in a window just looking out and she looked very sad and it it's kind of odd to me 
how you said the thing about the DNA, because I wonder how much of that is in her DNA that's playing out. But anyways, so at night, I would walk around the perimeter and I would make sure everything was safe. And what I did was very close to like working with these entities that would attack. Like I knew how to handle them. And so I was in charge of a team of people that if I saw something, would call them and we would go tackle these entities or whatever. And there was this tower. I would climb this tower because for some reason in that time, I was very good at like lizard-like climbing. I'd go up to the top of this tower and this tower were like the handmaidens or whoever, the servants to the ruler of this community. And they would be kept isolated. They weren't allowed to mix with the common people. And I would go and talk to this one girl and we would talk about stuff and just laugh and have a good time. And then one night I was up there and I saw a fire was started and I was like, okay, I got to go. I go down. And that's how I died in that lifetime. I was attacked by these entities. I'd let it slip. I was spending so much time with her and everybody else was just kind of nodding off. So these beings got in and they set fire to everything. We're killing people. And in trying to fight one off and in trying to get everyone out to safety, turning around and yelling to people, I got slashed and I fell into quicksand. Mm. And that's how I died in that lifetime. And so a couple weeks after that, literally two weeks after doing that, I was online. I'm not going to say what platform I was on Mm -hmm. specifically, but I was looking through uh, just scrolling and I saw this person and there was this knowing and I reached out and I said, hey, do I know you from somewhere? And mm-hmm. she said, no, but I feel like I know you. And then I realized it was the girl from the from tower. That. Yes. And so that's my friend Katie that oh, cool. we spent some time talking. Now, you know, we're, we're good friends now. We keep in touch with each other all the time. Nice. And uh, we spent that whole night after opening that conversation talking about stuff. And she was like, I really do know you from somewhere. And as we were relaying stories back and forth, we realized that, you know, while this sounds really hokey and really corny and, and un, unreal, this right. was a thing that happened. No, and, it sounds, doesn't sound unreal to me. It sounds very logical to me. It really does. Yeah. And look, the conversation continued, right? So you connected that way previously where you could talk and chat and make each other laugh. And it continued even when you met again in this life. Yeah, it was like an instant pickup from where things left off it was really weird at first and now it's it feels like a normal thing i also met someone else last year that came here to really go on vacation for a year mm-hmm. and like to work work from home and stuff and it was another instant connection and it was like i swear i've known you my whole life and um some stuff happened not between us but happened here where she was like i don't i actually don't want to stay here because there's too much crime and stuff so you left mm-hmm. and it was after that i decided one night i'm gonna take a look at it so i went and i found my my hypnotherapy notes and stuff went back into this meditation and it turns out again i was in another repeating position of being some military official she was a part of the royalty again same theme and uh, she must have been cheating on on her husband with me or something because in one of the scenes she was looking at me like with a lot of shame because she was walking right next to this guy and she's like we like almost like we can't let him know right and 
I died almost in the same way. This time there was another attack. Uh, another army attacked the uh, community. And how I died was trying to get her to safety. And it's a, a really weird thing happened when she was here. We fell asleep one night watching this movie and woke up and she had her hand on my hand and she was holding it tight. Mm-hmm. And I was like the kind of the next day I kind of teased her about it. I said, why'd you, why'd you hold my hand so tightly? What were you afraid of? She was like, I was not holding your hand. And I was like, yeah, you, you were, right. let's, let's just be, just be honest. Yeah. And so I found out I died in that lifetime with arrow through an arrow through my chest. And she was face down in a pool of blood as gruesome as this is. Sorry, listeners. All right. But she was holding that same hand. And so what was happening to her is that she, she was, she wanted to come here to get over a divorce, Mm -hmm. not to tell out too much of her business, but she was so afraid of that felt so unsafe that instinctively she grabbed my hand when she fell asleep and she didn't feel safe here because, uh, you know, this is a place that I'm not afraid to say it. People don't like when I say it, but it's the truth. I'll be sitting in here. I'll hear gunshots and stuff like that. Wherever there's tourism, there's crime here. And that's because 80% of the population is largely oppressed. So for people who are accustomed just roaming around as they please and and doing what they do, when you come here, you have to have a vehicle, especially as a woman. Walking around on your own is very, very dangerous. And so that triggered for her all of that stuff. And... um. So I just, I was wanting to tell that story for people listening to know that this stuff is common. You will meet people that you knew in other lifetimes, but it's also leading to the question, is this a thing that happens as you begin to develop yourself? Is this a thing that just keeps happening over and over and over where you run into more people that are to resolve things? I think a lot of times when people set their foot on a spiritual path and they get very serious about their spiritual life and development, what ends up happening is the universe starts giving them opportunities to finish things. If there's any sort of undone, unfinished business, the universe goes, here, I'm going to help you out. Finish this story, right? Put the period at the end of this sentence and just kind of gives us that opportunity. And it would be a mistake each time, if, you, if every time you meet someone, you think that they're either going to be your, your best friend forever or your, soul, your love affair, your husband or wife, it's, that's not always the purpose of these relationships. You know, sometimes they are short-lived, sometimes they are lifelong. But I think the idea is to finish anything that feels unfinished so that your soul can be more at peace as we move along this journey and have more free energy for new stuff, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and that's funny because I did say that to my friend when she left. I said, you know, this this kind of sucks because now it's going to be harder to finish whatever I'm supposed to finish with you all the way back home. Right. And right. and she was kind of like, yeah, Jesus. Right, right, <laughs> and it's right. like, yeah, Jesus can't help you. Like, this just is the way Jesus it seems involved to be. I don't think at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I mean... Yeah. So did you, now I'm curious, did you keep in touch with her? Did you? Yeah, I still keep in touch with her. And I still like a large part of our, our friendship is based on me being a facilitator where she says this thing and 
she or she has this problem and I can be a person who just holds that space for her. Right. And there's still it's still that element of protection because and when anything happened when she was here, she ran to me. But right. oh, how we actually started talking again through the internet, just she messaged me and was like, hey, what do you want? And she's like, well, you know, I'm moving this place. You seem cool. Uh, maybe you can tell me more about the country. And I gave her the whole cliff notes. I gave her the full warning <laughs> beforehand. Right. Right. And it occurred to me when she came and um, the way that we'd hit it off so well, just over the internet like that, that this must have been some kind of thing like that. So I allowed it to play out in the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I did because I felt like I, I learned so much. I felt like my soul grew and was able to release so much in the process. And That's so I beautiful. still stay in contact with her. You know, I, I am the kind of person that you either love me or you don't like me at all for whatever reason is just unique to you. Mm-hmm. But I do a great job of keeping in contact with everybody. That's great. So to me, so, everybody's a friend until... Until they're you know, not? And Yeah, until they're not, yeah. So much. you told at least two, sort of three stories there where you were a guardian. yeah. So that's probably what's, one of what's your, that about? That's, I'm asking <laughs> you, my friend. Yeah, it does sound like that's a repeat, a repeating pattern for you, right? Where you feel like you have a duty to to be a caretaker, a soldier, a guard, uh, to keep the powers of darkness at bay, right? For the people. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something that I get a lot. Like people will tell me, um, you always seem so confident and so strong and so at peace. And I said, you know, I've been through a lot. And there's not a lot of stuff out there that really, truly scares me at the core anymore. Right. And especially when you've had like a near-death experience and stuff, I've told this story a lot of times. The listeners are going to throw rocks at me again. Like, <laughs> you're telling this story again. But basically, in my early 20s, I tried to kill myself like three times. And then the mm-hmm. final time, I had a near-death experience. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that woke me up because when I came back, I just wasn't the same person anymore. And I knew there was more for me. Right. And it, it just became years and years of different layers on top of each layer to mm-hmm. bring me to this point. And um, it, it, people say that stuff to me. And I say, well, you know, once you, you've had a taste of death, you tend not to fear it so much. You tend to just want to get it over and done with and get the work done. Right. Because, um, like, you know, people taking certain medications, they shouldn't take because of a certain thing mm-hmm. out of fear. Like I don't have that. I don't, I, I don't have that program because the truth for me resonates so high because I've yeah. been dead already that I know this is false. So it's like, kind of a been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Like, right? it, it, You're bulletproof at this point, right? You want, you want to kill me? Whatever, man. Yeah. Like, it, it'll be great. <laughs> first, right? <laughs> yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that's the the side effect of spiritual growth, though, is that we no longer fear death, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it, yeah. Because it, uh, there's no there's no way possible that you meet your soul and you don't come to this deep understanding that just cancels out everything else in the world. That you're just right. a fragment of consciousness that you go back. And this this whole thing's a rental. Right. I mean, that's it. 
That's it. all there is to it. Right. As I know it sounds simplistic to a lot of people that might be listening, but that's it. Well, I think spiritual truth is always simple to understand. It's just a little bit hard to live, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's where the where the rub is. It's hard to live, but I do I do really um, feel that in your presence as we're talking tonight that you're basically grounded and content and unafraid, and that you kind of know that whatever happens is just going to happen, and you're cool with it. So yeah, that's it a could be a long to time too. Yeah. <laughs> what you got and, uh, there? Yeah. And uh, you know what? The thing that I want people to understand, though, is even though you reach that level of insight and awareness, there's still so much growth there and you really don't know what you don't know. Oh, of course. It's just no longer scary, but you really are surprised. A never ending story, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my last question is, we know that we're living in the rise of the global shadow. <clears throat> well, you and I know. Maybe our <laughs> listeners know. Maybe they um, do. I hope so. Why are you here if you don't know this? <laughs> right. Just kidding. Um, so are the experiences that the collective are experiencing right now, is that some kind of um, collective past life drama coming to the surface? Right? Is it? a combination of that plus the overall lack of accountability that we see with people. And also on top of that, so I can make sure you leave this show after this question. (laughs) (laughs) Are there two questions in one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there any particular messages that you get from your guides and stuff that are giving you information about current events or the future or, you know, what do you got? So, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that individual people have destiny, right? But that humanity as a whole has destiny as well. And so I think what we're watching occur on a global level right now, as dark as it sometimes seems and and is, um, I do think it's part of humanity, the bigger collective humanity's destiny. We have to make a decision. We're We're at a real choosing point. What are we going to value? How is the earth going to look? Will we cooperate or not cooperate? Will we give essential parts of our humanity away? What is it going to be? And I think different like conventional religious people will look at this from through the lens of their conventional religions. But no matter what point of view you take, the questions are still kind of the same. How how can we maintain our authentic human self in the face of a few people trying to control the many? That's really what we're trying to deal with here, right? So there could be a million ways we can divide ourselves into small groups. We can be, you know, different races, different genders, different, and all of that is very real, you know? But in the end, we are the many and the few are the few. And how can we keep the space safe for humanity? And that's all of us, right? And how can we share better? How can we share in a way that actually works? you know, rather than limiting resources into just a few hands. So I think those are the challenges that we're facing. I think that the only way we can possibly transmute this time in history is with soul power can only be a soul evolution. That's the only way. Nothing else is really going to do it. I do feel we're coming up into a point in the timeline where the timeline is kind of splitting into. Um, I'm oversimplifying it, but this is the best way I know how to explain it. I think there are going to be 
a, a large number of souls that go one direction and a large number of souls that go the other, other direction. And I do kind of believe that all time occurs simultaneously. So, you know, it'll be seamless, you know, there won't be um, necessarily a big um, giant, you know, out loud kind of split, but I do feel like the earth is going into two different paradigms. So my um, intention and my, my purpose is to try to stay where there's the most freedom, the most creativity, the most art, the most respect for humanity's nature. So that's where I'm keeping my vibration every day as best as I can. You know, I'm not perfect far from it, but that's my intention um, is to be respectful of other people and, and to walk in dignity because that's what I think the human condition is supposed to be. I do feel, I do hear from spirit that the wor- in the timeline that we are sitting in right now tonight, that the worst of it is kind of almost over, although it doesn't look that way on the outside. I think that the internal structures of, you know, whatever word you want to use, if you want to say, new world order, or if you want to say whatever you want to say, but that that structure that was making an attempt to take a tyrannical grip on planet earth is sort of crumbling um, on the inside that they know they sense that they're running out of time and they're running out of resources and it's not going as they had planned and that they're meeting a huge amount of resistance. So that even just that fact gives me joy and hope because I'm thinking like, wait, enough people are waking up enough people are sharing information, enough people are talking about spiritual things and other choices and creating your own reality and love and um, all of the good stuff that their lies are sounding like lies to enough people that they don't have the traction they need to make their plan work. Now, is it still ugly? Yeah, it's still ugly. Is there still probably more things that are going to go on that are sad and unfortunate? I, I hate to say it, but yes, I do think that. But I think that we're witnessing the death of a culture that had a grip on the planet for probably about 2,500 years. And we're just kind of watching the last bits of it die. I, I know that sounds kind of dramatic, but I think that's what we're witnessing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. And <laughs> that's why I... I I also linger in a community of people who talk so much about this, talk so openly about this. And because I have a tremendous amount of respect for these people. I'll call them by name, like Jason Kristoff. And um, I talked to Dylan Charles the other day. Uh, He knows what's going on. And, you know, there's people like David Icke who've been talking about this for a long time and people haven't taken him seriously. And that's fine if they don't want to take him seriously. But David mm-hmm. Icke has a tremendous amount of research under his belt and a tremendous yes. amount of application when it comes to spiritual work on himself. He understands what consciousness is. He understands that it's all about love and making the right choices. Right. And it's about the children. And these people are not joking around. It's They're doing what they're doing because they understand that the spiritual journey is about looking at the dark thing, the thing that you don't want to look at, coming back to center and working, making the best choice for everybody. Right. And you can't just ignore it. And I want I, I want to bring these things up as often as I can. I don't care who it pisses off. It's serious. It's- we see these 
dire. Images of, beyond serious, right? It's yeah. We see these yeah. images of these little kids, two years old, that were born at the beginning of the pandemic, that can barely breathe. They can barely I speak. I know. They, they don't know what's going on because they've lost their ability to uh, their facial pattern recognition. It, right. we, we can't sit around and allow that to happen. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. We can't sit around and just let that happen to a whole no, it's generation. Morally wrong. In my opinion, this is morally wrong. We can't keep children in this state. It's not correct. Yeah. And yeah. also to call yourself a spiritual person and then you don't want to see what's going on, you know, then how spiritual are you? How serious are you about making a difference? You don't have to get out there and protest. You don't have to get out there and do anything extreme. Just make the right choices. Pass on the right information. Be honest about what you're seeing and make sure that you don't participate in the, the, the worst of it. Make sure that you are trying to build people up, giving them the help. Because you know what, Lisa, at the end of the day, all of these people who turn around and get the vaccine and their kids get the vaccine and things like that, it, when they get the eventual health complications that come from it or they they die their families are going to need help with that and it's really really shitty to just decide i'm not going to look at it i'm going to cover my ears because i'm a so-called spiritual person you need to be training yourself to help people right plain and simple that's what it's about that is what it's about i couldn't agree more yeah i'm with you yeah I get very passionate about these things because it's important to me. (laughs) I understand. I understand. And sadly, I think a lot of times in modern sort of new age spiritual circles, people are encouraged to not pay attention to world events, that somehow it makes you unspiritual if you watch the news or follow politics. But I think that what ended up happening is there's a whole generation my age and older who purposely stopped watching what was going on in the world thinking that somehow that made them more spiritual to not participate as if, oh, politics, that's beneath me. But the bottom line is politics is power and power is spiritual. And understanding the flow of power is part of being an empowered person. It's part of the story. So I think it's, you know, as parents, grandparents, potential future parents, you know, we do have an obligation to keep the world safe for the next generation. Yep. Agree with yeah. that, for sure. Well, you know, let's let's change change let's it change back topics. to a lighthearted topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's change topics. <laughs> so, where can we find you if we want to do some work with you? Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you can find me. I have two websites that lead back to me, and one is under my name, which is Lisa McGarity. So it's L-I-S-A-M-C-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y.com. That will help you find me. Or also my store. I have a small metaphysical bookstore in Port Jefferson, New York. And that shop is called Envision Crystal. So the the website, of course, is also Envision Crystal with an E. And so you can find me by checking out either one of those places. And I love to meet new people. And I love working with new people. And I do work. Of course, you know, over Zoom or by cell phone or in person as well. Great. That sounds good. You got anything else for me? 
Oh, this was so fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for being here and listening to me ramble about my stories. <laughs> <laughs> I ramble too, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lisa, it's been really great having you on. And I think maybe we will have to do a part two because I still have more questions for you about cool. crystals and those kinds of things. And um we will get there someday. I would love to do that. Let's do that. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks for being on. Have a great evening. Bye. Visit jahansator.com slash boundless authenticity to listen to all the episodes of the Boundless Authenticity podcast. When you're there, you are free to navigate to the homepage of the website and browse the banner at the top to listen to some of my meditations completely free with the option to purchase if you wish. Listen as many times as you like to. Your health and wellness is the most important reward for me. To reach me directly, email me at jahantwsator at gmail.com or Instagram at jahansator to schedule time with me. I'm currently offering deep meditation classes. Are you experiencing sadness, anger, anxiety, depression, and overwhelm? Are these things interfering with your daily living? Feel a calmness from the very first session and discover some of the best meditation techniques to relieve stress and improve mental health. Learn various ways to change internal dialogue, clear harsh memories and emotions, and delete useless information from the subconscious. Get the techniques and processes which are most important to practicing meditation and you'll discover when to meditate, how to meditate, why you have certain thoughts and feelings during meditation and how to handle them effectively. Also check out my deep dive coaching package. Are you ready to triumph over challenges and create something new and unique? Achieve fulfilling results, success, joy, prosperity, abundance, and great mental health thanks to my proven transformation solutions. In this package, we take a comprehensive look at manifesting your vision for yourself in any area of your life. Learn subconscious reprogramming exercises for removing and replacing limiting programs and belief systems. Learn mindfulness and meditation to reduce stress, increase health and well-being, process and let go of unwanted thoughts and energy in everyday life. Also available is my Mindfulness Mastery Program. 12 sessions with me remotely via Skype, Zoom, Instagram, or WhatsApp call. Learn mindfulness techniques to delete unwanted and unhelpful thoughts and beliefs. Subconscious reprogramming. Master your breath to reduce stress. Develop a conqueror's mindset. Manifesting 101. Become an expert meditator. Group sessions are available for Mindfulness Mastery. Three people per group via Zoom at jahansator.com. That's J-E-H-A-N-S-A-T-T-A-U-R.com.